been talking over the past few weeks on the subject of lemonade. How many of you have ever had an experience in your life that didn't taste real good? Ever gone through something, ever experienced something that you went, man, this is, this is not what I wanted it to be, this is not what I expected it to be. And so over the past few weeks, we've kind of been dealing with this whole aspect of turning obstacles into opportunities. And so we're going to kind of wrap this up today. So would you take your Bibles and go to the book of Luke, the seventh chapter in the New Testament, the book of Luke, chapter seven. And as you're doing that, let me say hello to our campuses. My name is Eddie Couples. I'm the lead pastor for Love and Truth Church. I am so thankful for your being there today. I'm grateful for what God is doing at every location. And we believe today that as we go into the Word of God, that God has a word for you no matter where you're at and where you're watching today. So we welcome you to Love and Truth Church. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at this subject uh, of those, those aspects of life that seemingly would bring destruction, and yet, instead of destruction, you really can't see them turn around where that you can live an overcoming life. So today, we're going to talk about, this is the subject today, I want to talk about what brings grace. What brings grace into our life? Now, that may sound like a little uh, uh, kind of a spiritual thing, and I promise you it is, but it's also going to be very practical in our lives. Let me just suppose with you for a moment before we get into the Scripture. Let me just suppose that this morning when you turned on your television uh, that you were, you know, scrolling through and you went through one of the news channels and and there's this headline uh, that says, um, well-known televangelist uh, seen at restaurant with entourage and at his table was well-known prostitute. How many of you would probably wait to see what the rest of that story was going to be, right? And as the story develops, the story would come back on and they would say, whoever it is, whoever you're, you know, an Andy Stanley or, a, uh, you know, uh, uh, it doesn't matter, T.D. Jakes, whoever it is, uh, that they would develop that story and say not only was this well-known prostitute at the table, but she's weeping the entire time that she's there and finally gets up from the table, goes over to where the, where the televangelist person is and begins to weep over his feet and then takes out a big box of perfume and just pours it all over him. How many of you know that would be quite scandalous? How many of you know every news agency would run with that story? How many of you know every church would preach about that? Can you believe? Can you believe that that preacher let that woman sit at the table with him? And yet the book of Luke, the seventh chapter, beginning in the 36th verse down through the 50th verse, I won't read it. It is exactly what takes place in the life of Jesus. The Bible says that a Pharisee, a religious person, a religious man had a dinner and he invited Jesus to the dinner. And that while he is there, while Jesus is at dinner, you've got to understand uh, that, that dinner lasted a whole lot longer in that culture than it does in ours. Uh, it's, it's a, if you've ever been to Europe or a place like that, uh, you know that, that dinners can last for hours. And, and this dinner was going on. They, they didn't sit in chairs. They reclined at the table. And so Jesus is reclining at the table. And all of a sudden into this religious institution, into this religious moment, because you've got to understand that the Pharisees were, were the poster children for religiosity. They, they were the ones that everybody kind of acclaimed and wanted to be like. And, and yet... Into this moment, into this place, comes this woman. And 
Uh, the New International Version says that she was an immoral woman, but a lot, of, a lot of translations say that she was a prostitute or a harlot. And she breaks into this, this holy gathering of the religious leaders and she begins to do strange things. First of all, she begins to weep uncontrollably, and as she's weeping uncontrollably, she gets closer and closer to Jesus until literally she is weeping, and her tears are coursing down her face literally onto his feet. She is crying so vehemently that her tears wash his feet. And then instead of her reaching and taking, uh, you know, a part of her robe or dress or, or, or taking a head covering, the Bible says that she took her hair and began to wipe his feet. And then she takes an alabaster box of perfume and breaks it and pours it all over his feet. And the religious guy said, if Jesus were really a prophet he would know what kind of woman this is and he would not let her get in a mile of him jesus knowing the intent and the thought of simon said to him simon let me let me tell you a story we'll break it down into american culture simon there's a guy that owes five thousand dollars that cannot repay and there's another guy that owes $500 and cannot repay, and the master forgives both of them. Question for you, religious man, who's going to love more? And Simon's reply is, well, I guess the one who's forgiven the greatest debt. And Jesus said, from the moment I came into your house, you did not wash my feet, you did not anoint my head, but from the very beginning of my being here, she has not ceased to wash my feet, and she has anointed me for that day. In that moment, I think is one of the greatest stories in Scripture. I think it is one of the stories that the church needs to hear probably every week. Maybe we just need to preach on this week after week after week after week until we understand what grace really looks like. I haven't asked this question in a long time, so let me ask you this. Have you ever gone to church? No, I'm serious. I, I know. I, have you ever gone to church? How many of you know that church can be one of the most judgmental places on earth? That if you don't look right, you haven't done right, you haven't fit, you know, you, you just you walk in and immediately you know you are on display. And then the preacher gets up and he takes a text and he looks right at you. And preaches a whole sermon to you. And everybody in the crowd's standing up and pointing at you. All right, not quite that bad, but almost, right? And yet grace doesn't do that. I mean, I mean when, when you understand how grace comes into our life, I, I think that when we look at this story, it, it uses the, the juxtaposition of the religious person and the totally immoral, sinful person. And... If you were going to do a billboard for your church, guess who you'd choose? You wouldn't, you wouldn't choose her. You would not choose this woman because when you took her picture, you'd have to do some photoshopping because she's going to have on too much makeup. She's going to be showing too much stuff. 
What's wrong with y'all? If she's making a living doing this, she's got to display the goods. I don't want to be too crude, but that's the way it is. We're going to get real today. No, you, you'd go to Simon because he, he's the guy that everybody wants to look like. He, you know, he's got, he's got the good job, and, and he, he shows up at church, and he wears a nice suit, and, and he's got the, you know, 1.8 children, and, and they're all in private school, and they're all being, oh, I mean, this is the guy, not this woman. And yet Jesus is so welcoming to her and soul in his face. Grace is an aspect that the church in America, I think, has tried to legislate out. I think because we are so afraid of people doing wrong that we try to give them so many regulations that they can't do anything but what is right. And yet what we find is, is that the Word of God says that the law frustrates us. That's what the Apostle Paul said. He, said. he said, before the law came along, I didn't even know what sin was. But then he said, when the law came along, here's, here's a paraphrase. He said, when the law came along, it just made me invent new ways to sin. The Bible says that Jesus, that, that the Old Testament was a schoolmaster bringing us to Jesus. That what you read in the Old Testament, you read how God dealt with people, is not how God deals with people in the New Testament. That God's mercy and grace has shown up for us. Not that you don't see mercy and grace in the Old Testament, because you do. But when you come into who Jesus is, you begin to see a, a total difference of what grace is about. I don't know about you, I think this is one story that I need the most. Because a lot of us have grown up in homes and in religious institutions where we never feel like we ever get it right. Some of us grew up in backgrounds, and I'm one of them, that it felt like that whatever you did, you should have done better. If, if you made a C on the report card, why didn't you make a B? And if you made a B, why didn't you make an A? And if you made an A, why didn't you make an A plus? And so life kind of goes through that grid. And then we come to God and we begin to live our Christianity the same way. And the church reinforces that. Now, now here's what the Bible says. Can I quote the word to you? That'd be all right. I don't want to mess you up. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, whom the Son sets Free is what? Free indeed. Now, here's how the church calls it. Whom the Son sets free, uh, we're going to give you a lot of regulations how to live. And yet the Bible says that when, when Jesus Christ comes in our life, He brings freedom to us. Now, that's not freedom to live any way that we want to. The Apostle Paul said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he, he forcefully said, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin continue any longer therein? But grace, having appeared into our life, transforms us. The problem is, is a lot of us, we don't understand how to get grace. So let me, let me talk about that first. Look at verse 36. Verse 36 talks about when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, 
He went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the, at the table. The, the first thing that you have to have to receive grace is you have to have desire. The Pharisee invited Jesus, but somehow the word got out. And, and this woman heard that Jesus is there, and when she hears that Jesus is there, she wants to go to him. Well, let me, can I say this to you? When people find out that Jesus is in the house, they come. No, you didn't hear me. They'll tear the roof off the sucker. Can't get to Jesus through the door, we just tear the roof off. Because if Jesus is in the house, life's going to be different. And this one, I mean, th think about this for a moment. Think, can, can you imagine this lady, and I use that term loosely because Scripture indicates she wasn't. Can you imagine her as a second or third grader and the teacher stands up and says, Here, here's the assignment for today. I want you to write a paper on what you want to be when you grow up. I guarantee you she did not write, I want to be a woman who sells her body to men to make a living. She did not say, I hope one day I can so devalue myself that I'm willing to sell myself for another man to have pleasure. She didn't do that. She talked about aspirations of doing great things and wonderful things. Her mom and dad looked at her, and we, again, we don't know the history of her life, but her mom and dad looked at her. They never one time said, well, we hope our daughter winds up on the street corner. Something happened. Life happened. We don't know what happened, but life happened. Isn't it easy to judge where somebody winds up when you don't know what happened in their life? Isn't it easy to point a finger at somebody who winds up addicted, who winds up in the gutter, who winds up all broken and messed up, and to say, I cannot believe who that person has turned out to be? It's what religious people do all the time. That's what Simon's doing. And yet there was such a desire in her. She wanted a different life. She was tired of selling herself just to live. If you want to experience grace, you've got to have a desire for your life to be different. That you're not going to settle for where it is today. Whatever it is. Now, it's interesting. I don't think most of us can relate to her because we've never been there. But, but isn't it interesting that God allowed us to see a glimpse of what grace can really do? It's almost like God says, let me, let me expose you to one of the worst cases ever so you will understand that no matter how bad you have been, my grace is still bigger. My love for you is still more. Look in verse 37, he goes on, he says, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life, again, remember, a lot of translations say she was a prostitute or harlot, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. The second thing, if you want grace in your life, you've got to have willingness. You've got to be willing to kind of get out of your comfort zone. 
She had to be willing. I mean, can you, can you imagine her? I, I don't know. I, I, again, I, I wish somebody would make a movie of this. I, I don't know how she got in. Now, I have a, can, can, I, can I go on a flight of fantasy for a moment? Maybe she was known to Simon's housekeepers because, just a thought. But somehow, someway, whether she was known to them or not known to them, she makes her way in, and, and she is willing at that moment to be totally misunderstood. She has a willingness inside of her to break the protocol of the moment to say, there is one who is able to change my life, and I really don't care what everybody thinks. And her willingness propelled her into the presence of Jesus. Can I, can I say this to you today? I, I want you to hear me really clearly today. The moment you quit caring what everybody else thinks about you is the moment that you can experience true grace. In that moment is when the grace of God can show up because in that moment we don't care. It's like, I don't care. Have you ever had those moments where every, it's like you, you were so concerned about this and all of a sudden in a moment something happens and everything turns on its head? She's having one of those moments. Her life is a mess Life has not handed her what she desired. It is never going to be what she wanted it to be. And in that moment, she says, I am going to Jesus. Look at verse 38. Verse 38 is, is that culmination as things begin to happen here. She says, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. The, the, the third thing that you've got to have to receive grace is you've got to have brokenness. Th this is a picture of a broken human being. Now, can I share with you a moment? A woman who is living this lifestyle has become a very hardened person. You can't do what she does for a living and be vulnerable. You have to build up walls. You have to build up thickness. You, you can't let anybody get close to you because in the moment that they do, your life is over. And so you, you build up these layers. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because here's what you've said. I've been hurt too many times. And I'm never, ever again going to be hurt. And so you build this wall up and you build this up and it's up. And you say, my, my parents forsook me. My, my, my first wife left me. My kids don't like. I mean, you just build it. And, and you, but in the process, by building those walls, yes, in a sense, you protect yourself. But you also keep yourself from receiving the very thing that you need. Now, watch this picture. The Bible says that Jesus was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Don't ask me to explain that. I don't understand it. I'm just quoting it. But he was God. We've, all the creeds of history, he was God. He was fully man, but he was fully God. So he is God. So God is in the room. You know, we, we get together, we say, oh, God's here. No, God was there. You could see him. And how many times have we heard, man, if God shows up, there's fear and trembling, there's, ooh, you, don't, ooh, don't touch, don't. 
You know what happens with her? She feels for the first time in who knows how many decades, listen to me, she feels total acceptance for the first time. In that moment, the God who has put flesh on, when she enters His presence, she is bathed in His love. The Bible lets us know that grace never appears to the proud. It always comes to the broken. The Bible says that God is looking for a broken and a contrite spirit. And in that moment, as she comes in, all of these layers that she has built through the years and all the men that she has had relationship with, all of those things, all of a sudden, when she comes to the reality of the one man that she's been looking for all of her life, no pun intended, but to quote an old song, she has been looking for love in all the wrong places. And yet today, she finds the right place. I want to tell you, when you genuinely encounter God, it is not in anger, it is not in hatred, it is not that He is dangling you over hell because He wants to show you how powerful He is. It is in that moment that you find total acceptance. In that moment, God says, I love you. In that moment, the Spirit of God breaks through all of the layers of the past all of the wounded parts, all of the broken parts, and God shows up and He says, I'm here, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to provide your destiny. Look at verse 38, the latter part of that verse says, Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. The alabaster box of perfume is an interesting thing. I don't know how many of you have done, some of you I'm sure have done research on it. The alabaster box, according to most scholars that I've read, was given to a daughter at probably the time about a young man was, goes through bar mitzvah, which is 12 or 13 years of age. So she goes through and she's given this jar. And in this jar, there is, there is put perfume year after year after year. And the, the, the purpose of this is that on, it is her dowry for her wedding. It will be used. Now, we don't understand dowry, uh, but you go to Africa, and they will tell you. I mean, our, our driver, we talk to Bernard all the time, but his daughter's getting ready to get married, and he's telling me how many cows he's going to get and goats he's going to get and all this stuff because they, his son-in-law's got to give it all to him. He said, you Americans are crazy. Y'all pay for the daughters in our, in our culture. You pay us to get our daughter. <laughs> I said, I like that. Come teach a marriage seminar. But... Um, <laughs> In, in the process, this, this is being built up as her dowry. What, one passage of Scripture tells us that it was worth a year's wages. So, so let's use, let's use $40,000, $40,000 of perfume. And she brings it, and in a moment, she breaks it and pours it on Jesus' feet. Why? Now, now let, me, let me give you the point so you can write it down, and then you can listen well. If you want to receive grace, you've got to have sacrifice. You, you, you've got, now, w watch what the sacrifice is, though. Hear me carefully. Don't miss this. What I am sacrificing 
is what I hoped the future would be so that I can receive what God has for the present. Now, you, I'll develop it because you didn't get it. Watch this. In just a few moments, we're going to see that Jesus looks at her and says, your sins are forgiven you. You can't do that, Jesus. Oh, yes, I can. I'm God. In fact, they say that. Who is this man to forgive sins? Yet, when you study the Old Testament, we are still in the Old Testament at this point, even though this is a New Testament passage. We're, the, the New Testament hasn't started. The, the Old Testament says that you have to bring a blood sacrifice to get forgiveness. But Jesus, seeing what she now brings him, says, I am the great I am. I don't live in time. I'm not bound by what everybody else is bound in. Where you see Old Testament and New Testament, where you see today, yesterday, and last year, I live in the present eternal now. So Jesus reaches into what we would call the future, brings it into the present to destroy her past. So that in that moment, what she had always hoped to be but knew it was never going to happen, now Jesus has eradicated the past and in one moment He has now brought to her everything that she ever hoped for and now it's not in her future, now it is in her present. When God shows up, the one who is able to say, let there be and there is, is able in a moment to wipe out all of the destruction of yesterday and to bring into today exactly what it is that He has planned for your future. Have you ever heard the term that you can't change history? Ever heard that? That's a bunch of baloney. You can change history in two ways. One is you can change history because the Bible says that God makes all things new. You show up and say, do you remember when you did this, this, this? And I go, nope. Well, I saw you do it. Don't care. Well, I saw you sin. Doesn't matter. Well, I, I saw you do such and such, and you lost your temper, and you said these words, and you did these things. I don't care. It's not there anymore because God took my sins, and He put them as far as the east is from the west, never to remember them against me ever again. You can remember them, but He doesn't remember them, and I choose to use His memory and not yours. The Bible says He makes all things new. All things are new today. And so He stands in the eternal now, and He takes yesterday and He wipes it away. But let's talk about how we change history. From this moment on, I have a choice. From this moment on, she has a choice. Her history can be different by what she does from this day forward. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. From this moment, have you ever read Proverbs 31? The virtuous woman. 
The woman who it talks about is such a wonderful, virtuous, marvelous woman. In fact, let me, let me just go there real quick. Pro- Proverbs 31 is a beautiful passage, uh, and, and, it, and it goes through all the, the things about a wife of noble character who can find she is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm. She's, I mean, it, it goes on how wonderful this is. Do you know who this is written about? It's written about Solomon's mama. Do you know who Solomon's mama is? Bathsheba, who David committed adultery with and killed her husband. And yet God stepped in when David went to the temple and said, Lord, I have sinned against you. I have done iniquity again. He goes through this. And then God stepped in and said, "Mm, she is not the adulteress. She is not the one. In fact, she is a virtuous woman. Who can know her? Her price is far above rubies. Because in the moment that you give your past to God, He brings you into the present in who He is. And in the present in who He is, there is no shadow of turning, the Bible says. Well, i got to stop that. I'm preaching. I didn't mean to. (laughs) Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. When I encounter the grace of God, the Bible says it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And if he gave himself for me, then I will not live in condemnation ever again. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation of them who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. You say, well, Pastor, but it says but after the Spirit. And when I fall back in the flesh, no, 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 let me help you. The moment that you become a Christian, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are no longer after the flesh, but you are now after the Spirit. Therefore, no longer do you walk after the flesh. Now you walk after the Spirit. Oh, yes, I sometimes sin, sometimes more than you want to know. But it's none of your business because my daddy stepped into my present, erased my past, and gave me my future. Let me close quickly. Let me me show you how grace is shown in our lives. Look in verse 47. Jesus saying, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has been shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Here's how grace is shown. First of all, sin's forgiven. Uh, Again, I don't have time to develop this. I've said all through this process of, of these sermons, I probably should have preached two or three weeks on each one of these. She never one time asked for forgiveness, and yet Jesus still forgave her. She, she didn't say, oh, Lord, I've sinned against you. She didn't, she didn't do the prodigal son thing. She, she just shows up and starts weeping, and Jesus looks at her and says, you're forgiven. But wait, you didn't pray a sinner's prayer. You're forgiven. You don't know the four spiritual laws. You're forgiven. You, you didn't do the Roman road. You're forgiven because my grace is sufficient for you. Verse 48, then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Watch this. He, he, he repeats himself. It's, it's this whole thing. Uh, the, this, the second thing that happened is that her self-esteem is restored. Can you imagine how horrible she feels about herself? 
Can you imagine day after day when she's getting all made up and she's looking in that mirror knowing what she's getting ready to do with this body uh, that has been given to her? She's getting ready to sell. Do, do you realize how low her self-esteem is? But in one moment, Jesus restored it. Listen to me. Don't, do not allow, hear me, especially younger, younger ladies, hear pastor, do not allow what society tells you is acceptable. Don't try to be everything that the movies and the magazines tell you because I promise you they lie to you. If you really saw them without their makeup, if you really saw the cellulite, if you really saw what they really look like before they airbrushed everything and stretched it, lengthened it, and all the stuff they do, you'd go, they don't look near as good as I thought they did. Listen, the only opinion that matters is his. Her self-esteem is restored. Let me, let me close. Look in verse 50. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The third thing is, is that when you receive grace, your future is secured. Secured. From that moment on, she's secure. I, I'm, I'm going, boy, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to think... that she may have had an appointment or two that day. Uh-oh. Now I'm really going to go out on a limb. And she might. Uh oh you, you all right? Can, can I go here? She might have gone ahead and fulfilled them. But she's never going to be the same. I can't believe a pastor would say that's because you don't understand grace. Because grace, here we go, I'm, I'm quitting. Grace is not determined by my action. Grace is determined by His action. And He hung on a cross and said, it is finished. And grace has appeared unto all men. When he said, go in peace, the, the literal translation there is go into peace. As she leaves, a, a woman who has no peace in her life, trust me, she, she is fragmented in so many ways. Jesus said, from this moment on, you're walking into a peace that passeth understanding. Your life will never be the same. I close with this statement. I heard Pastor Bill Johnson say recently, and it messed me up, and, and I've heard this thing. It wasn't the first time I'd heard the statement, but for whatever reason, it did something in my mind and my heart. He said, the disciples belonged before they believed. And I went, oh my. What do we do with that in the church? Because we got to get everybody cleaned up, straightened up, purified, and holy. And yet the disciples are still dealing with pride. I'm the best in the kingdom. I'm bigger than you are. My mama's going to go talk to Jesus and get me on the right hand and my brother on the left hand. Right? 
I mean, one, one of them, a couple of them come to him and they say, Lord, you know that city that rejected us? Would you just kill every one of them? Now, that's some anger issues. They, they need some counseling. Right? So there's, there's this development of a Christ-like attitude that doesn't happen like this. But grace is bigger than your junk. I have to throw this disclaimer in because I'll get a lot of religious stuff happening. I'm not talking about that you just live any way you want to. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying His grace is bigger than whatever you do. Whatever your sin is, His grace is bigger. And so now we, we, we make a choice. Do I live with the sense of dread and hopelessness or do I live the abundant life that John 10.10 10 talks about? We have taken resurrected sons and daughters and legalized them to death. And yet Jesus said, I've brought freedom to them. I challenge you today, accept his love, accept his grace. Know today that no matter where you are or who you are or what you've done, that when you get into his presence, he accepts you and he loves you. Amen.